0: It was late in the evening, and I was sitting alone on a park bench, hand on the phone in my coat pocket, hoping beyond hope it would start vibrating. She hadn't returned any of my calls so far, but maybe this time the message I'd left was good enough to change her mind. Every fiber of my body was hoping and begging as she would. A man approached from across the park, His footfalls were so quiet, he'd gone from a blip in the distance to sitting on the next bench over without me even noticing. It would have been courteous to bid him a good evening, but I was too focused on the device between my fingers to pay him any mind. I heard a deep intake of air, not dissimilar to one a child would take right before bursting into a song or scream. The man spoke loud enough for me to hear. I wish she would call me back. His voice was soft and peaceful, like a father reading a bedtime story. Those words had derailed my train of thought. It was the sight of his intense, unbreaking gaze in my peripheral vision which urged me to respond. Excuse me? I turned to him and found myself a little taken aback by his appearance. He was in all black, wearing a tribbly polished shoes, clean dress pants, and a long coat stretching from his knees to his shoulder with preacher's collar peeking between the folds. He had short, well groomed beard and strong cheekbones beneath his unblinking stare. Even seated, I could tell he was quite tall, and I questioned how someone of his stature might have been so light on their feet. His lower eyelids were pronounced, almost swollen, as if though he'd been awake for days or crying for hours, but the telltale redness of either affliction was missing. As he grinned sheepishly at me, his lids arched upward and, with the glow from the streetlight above, made his eyes look like crescent moons gleaming in the night sky. He was, by any definition, handsome and alluring, but he looked as though he'd been plucked from another time period. He touched his gloved fingertips together and then dangled his now-combined hands between his parted knees. That's what you were thinking just now. I wish she would call me back, isn't that right? I blushed and nodded. Had it been that obvious? You know the old saying about wishes, he said. Who was this man? What was he doing parading around the streets of Cambridge in that antiquated getup of his? Why had he felt the need to come bother me? I forced a chuckle, trying to make it sound more amused than annoyed, though the scale clearly tipped toward the (laughs) latter. Yeah, well, I'm not asking the universe for much here. His stare intensified to the point of making me tense. I could feel my toes going cold as they gripped the soles of my shoes. I wanted to shoo him away, but there was something about him that I found abundantly charming and debonair. I found myself uncharacteristically enraptured by him, as though his charisma was a web and I was an insect. May I tell you a story? he asked. I quirked a brow at the odd request. He didn't smell drunk nor look disturbed in any way, but still my mind screamed, No. Unfortunately, my mouth was too polite to vocalize what my brain was urging me to say. Sure. His smile intensified, and his half-moon eyes narrowed into waxing crescents. Marvelous! He removed his tribly and held it against his chest with one hand, while the other cupped his knee. Underneath his hat was a thin carpet of receding, dirty blonde hair just about the same length as his beard and mustache. The preacher rotated toward me and wasted no time sharing his story. I knew a man once, much like you. No, oh, but not nearly as handsome, don't worry. He winked. He too was sitting on a park bench, much like this one, stewing over the latest failed relationship. She'd started out as just another notch in his belt, but he'd grown quite fond of her. He'd even started contemplating starting a family. I'd been looking at rings the weekend before she ghosted me. Out of the blue, she just stopped answering my calls. No fights, no goodbye message, nothing. I didn't relate, I mumbled. He hummed, looking at me with his signature sheepish grin. Hmm. Can't we all? So, what happened to your friend? He laughed. <laughs> oh, it. he wasn't a friend. More like... He paused and squinted as, though deep in thought, then continued. More like a client, of sorts. Well, this man sat on a bench and watched her house and called her over and over again, wishing, begging, and praying she'd pick up. She never did, of course, but all those wishes he sent out into the ether were bound to fall on prying ears. And so, on a night much like tonight... As the man was on the verge of tears and staring at his phone, a handsome, very well-dressed, very suave stranger approached him and offered him a deal. I snorted. (laughs) Let me guess, sell his soul for a phone call? Preacher laughed. (laughs) Oh, heavens, no. While the handsome stranger did have mysterious powers, they were nothing of that sort. No, no. What he asked for was one year one single year of his life in exchange for a guaranteed phone call. You see, this stranger, this attractive, kind, charismatic stranger, had the ability to act as sort of a, again, he squinted, turning his eyes into a crescent moon in the process, a kind of supernatural telephone operator of sorts. He could guarantee the man's call would go through, Help. He could let any person speak to anyone they desired. All in exchange for a single year of their life. I snorted and twirled my finger around my temple a few times. He, uh, he sounds like a loony to me. The preacher shuffled closer and leaned in, his deep brown eyes looking into mine with overwhelming intensity. Maybe he was But if so, then there'd be no harm in agreeing to the bargain, would there? And if his claims were legitimate, well, he paused to smirk, then what's one year? What would anyone have to lose? One less year living in the twilight of his life, half there, half not, pissing and shitting himself in a nursing home, one tiny itty bitty year in exchange for the potential of reuniting with his beloved and living a lifetime of happiness by her side. This, the man decided, was a bargain. He accepted the stranger's deal, one year of his life, for a phone call. I loosened my tie and looked up at her apartment building. The lights were off and the curtains drawn. Was she already asleep or had she gone out drinking with friends again? So, the guy actually said yes. I asked The preacher nodded enthusiastically (laughs) Why, of course I was skeptical In my experience If a woman doesn't want to answer She's not going to answer Nothing is going to change that You can only sit back and hope she'll return the call And it worked? I asked His call went through He smiled with such excitement He looked 20 years younger It most certainly did The handsome stranger was no liar. My leg twitched and I jumped. Had my phone just vibrated? No, it wasn't vibrating. It was just a muscle spasm. I sighed. So, why are you telling me this? My boy, it's simple. I simply wish to make you the same offer I made him. I snorted. (laughs) A year of my life for a phone call? I can see you're skeptical, but think of the man in my story. He stretched his arm out and held his hand within reach. What harm could it possibly do to agree? If I'm a sham, nothing will happen. If I'm not, your wish will be granted and she'll return your call. I looked at him in disbelief. I wasn't buying it, not one bit. At the same time, it would have been rude to not humor him a little. I shook his hand firmly, looking him in the eyes. All right, Deal. Excellent, he said as he shook my hand firmly. In a graceful movement, he dropped his hat back on his head and pushed himself to his feet, ready to leave. I stopped him. I'm not sure what possessed me to ask, but something did. Wait, aren't you going to tell me what happened? Once he made the call, was the man able to get her back? Did they live happily ever after? A hint of malice flickered in the preacher's smile at my questions. He cupped a hand to his chin pensively. Hmm. No, not quite. After the handsome stranger left him be, the man took his phone and dialed her number, cautiously optimistic it might actually work. She picked up, but at first, all he heard was silence. It can take a few seconds to establish the connection, you see. He began picking lint off of his long black coat. The gesture, for some reason, left me with a sinking feeling at the pit of my stomach. Something about it seemed so... Sinister. His head eclipsed the streetlight and endowed him with a broad halo. With his long, slender frame towering above me, he looked like an all-powerful god, and the lint looked like his subjects, which he callously tore from their homes and discarded with little regard. I shivered. He continued. The man heard static. Then slowly, the static faded and made way for a soundscape unlike anything he could ever imagine. He heard the screams of thousands that seemed to echo off the walls of a deep cavern. He heard the sizzling of fire and the searing of flesh. When he strained his ears, he could just barely hear the sound of sparks flying as metal collided against metal. Frazzled and shocked, he made to hang up. Then he heard the girl's familiar voice, weak and thready. Make it stop, she sobbed. Please, make it stop. He dropped the phone and it shattered into pieces, but the sound still came through the broken speaker. I felt the hairs on the back of my neck rising. It was a story, a a stupid story, but it had its hooks in me. I stuttered. What, What did he do? The preacher shrugged and waved his hand dismissively. He tossed the remains into the woods and ran home. Just stand... Here we go. Raphael pointed at a spot on the grass a few feet off the sidewalk. Technically, it was probably the yard of the house behind us, but it was a side yard and close enough to the street that I doubted anyone would complain. Still, I wasn't sure what he was pointing at until I stepped closer and saw something silver glinting among the thick grass. I looked back up at him questioningly. So I stand there? Do I pick that up? He nodded. Yeah, the witness has to be the one to pick it up. It's one of the rules. His eyes skittered back and forth between me and the patch of grass. His face lined with tension as he flapped his hand in my direction. Hurry, do it if you're going to do it. I frowned and bent down, picking up what I now saw was a silver coin, though not a kind that I was familiar with. It was smooth on one side, and on the other there was a large engraved eyes surrounded by lines that radiated a crisscross web to the edges of one small metal disc. Running my thumb over the ridges, I looked at him as I rose. So what? Now I just stand here and wait for something to happen? Raphael shrugged. Pretty much. A lot of times he glanced across the street then turned back to me. Lots of times nothing happens. You just stand in the spot for two hours, and at the end of the two hours, you go home. You'll find a black journal and a pen sitting outside your door. Before you go in, you write down a description of what you saw during your time out there. It can be long or short, doesn't matter. It can just say, I stood for two hours and nothing happened, if that's the truth. Just so long as you write something down. When you're done writing it down, put the book and the pen back where you found it, and then go inside. He'll be gone before the next morning, and around noon that same day, you'll find an envelope at your door. thousand bucks cash. I grinned. You've told me this ten times, and it still sounds too good to be true. I felt my smile slip. You sure this isn't anything illegal? He grimaced. Look, you're the one that kept bugging me about getting you into it. Remember, I told you not to. Told you that it's not as easy as it sounds. I frowned at him. Yeah, you keep saying that, but you won't say why it isn't easy. Unless your lazy ass just minds standing for a couple hours. For a thousand bucks, I can stand a lot longer than that. When he didn't smile or laugh, I went on. But seriously, I thought you were just messing with me. Or maybe that there is something you're not telling me? I held his eye. So is there... He shook his head and dropped his gaze. No, nothing I'm allowed to tell. That's part of the rules. If you bring someone new in, you can show them where to go and what to do the first time, but that's it. No talking about what you've seen or done. When he looked back up at me, his gaze was stony. And I know I've told you this before, too, but it's worth repeating. Now that you've started, you don't get to stop until a full two hours have passed. No walking around, no going to piss or falling asleep. You have to stay here the full time, no matter what, and you have to watch. You have to watch whatever there is to watch. I raised my eyebrow. Dude, you're starting to freak me out, being all sketchy acting about it. Is this some kind of joke you and Tori are pulling? I'll kick your ass. I tried to laugh, but it sounded hollow and thin in my ears. Raphael's eyes widened slightly. It's not a joke. You understand? You wanted in it, and now you're in it. So long as you take it serious and follow the rules, you'll be okay. He gave me a smile that looked forced. Make made good money, too. Glancing back across the street, he started edging toward his car. So, you cool? I know I should stay much longer, but I want to make sure you're okay before I go ignoring the twisting in my belly. I gave him a thumbs up as I started my phone's two-hour timer. I'm cool. I'll text you later. He nodded and ducked into his car, and moments later, he was gone. I felt very alone and exposed now that the distraction of talking was gone. It wasn't a bad neighborhood. The houses were older and a bit run down, but it seemed quiet enough. I'd only seen a couple of people drive by while we were talking, and after Raphael left, it was probably half an hour before another car passed. The entire two hours, my mind kept racing, torn between fear that this all really was a practical joke, and that it was not only real, but that Raphael's weirdness wasn't just him being anal, but him... well, him being scared. But that was silly. I'd known him and his sister, Tori, since the fifth grade, and I'd never known him to get really scared or freaked out about anything. Probably he just was nervous about vouching for me, and I was afraid if I messed up, it would mess up his job too. And there was no denying it was a weird job, inherently sketch. Maybe some twisted pervert with a lot of money, or someone that wanted to harass someone without having to be around themselves. My imagination had run wild since Raphael had left the job slip a couple weeks earlier, but if all I had to do was stand here and watch the neighborhood crawl by, what was the harm? And if some nut wanted to pay big money for it, who was I to refuse? My other worry was that it was just a way to lure someone out somewhere so they could be snatched or serial killed or something. Raphael had been doing it for like three months, and the guy he'd heard about it Had done it for a year, a couple of states over. So it had to be... Well, if not legit, at least not too dangerous for the people getting paid. And all that made sense, sure, but... It still got harder to stay out there as the twilight deepened into night. I wasn't even sure what I was supposed to be looking for or watching, so I just periodically turned and looked this way and that, my eyes finding the pools of light from the occasional street lamp or the glow of some lit window or door. So I'm missing something I didn't know what but why have me hang out here for two hours unless something was going to I let out a short yelp as my phone's timer went off my two hours were up I texted Raphael that was stupid easy and the book was there like you said when I got home tonight yeah so you filled it out and left it yeah of course though I don't know how I feel about you giving my address out to strangers as long as I get paid right I didn't. You didn't get paid? Dude, what the fuck? No. I didn't think about it before, but I didn't tell anyone where you lived. Okay. Back to being creepy. I just better have a fat envelope waiting for me tomorrow or your ass is grass. They did pay, just like he said. And a week later, I found another envelope with a new time and location, as well as a photo of the spot I was supposed to stand in. Raphael said it was always a considered an invitation, not an order. I didn't. He stressed, have to keep doing it if I didn't want to. But of course I did. Over the next month, I did it two more times. Once at the edge of a shopping center parking lot early one Sunday morning, and the other time outside a library across town until midnight. I kept waiting for something to happen, something noteworthy to report or give me a clue as to what the purpose of all of this was. But it was also ordinary people coming and going some of them giving me odd looks as they passed, as though they were wondering what this strange girl was doing just standing and watching as they came and went it wasn't until the third time i actually saw something kind of interesting i was posted outside of a pizzeria when a kid about my age came storming out wearing a green apron covered in white powder made a few steps into the parking lot before seeming to think better of it and turning around. I thought that maybe he'd quit, and now he was going back in to say he was just kidding, but no. Instead, he went over to the gumball sheen outside the door he'd exited. Picking it up, I saw the cords standing out of his neck as he screamed in the direction of whoever was inside to hear. Fuck you, Brian! With that, he swung the gumball machine from its base like he was batting for a home run, except instead of hitting a fast pitch, he slammed it into the restaurant's front plate glass window, shattering it. He stared with some mixture of what looked like pride and surprise before dropping the machine and running for his car to make his escape from the lot. Thirty minutes later, police pulled up, and much to my dread, they headed my way after talking to some guy in a red pizza shirt. Brian, if I had to guess. They asked me if I'd been out there when everything happened. I shrugged and told them I'd been out here for a while, but hadn't seen anything. The female officer frowned at this and told me she didn't see how I didn't notice a man breaking a window and screaming 20 yards away. I just stared at her and shrugged. That's when she started asking why exactly I was out there. Was I aware that there was a city ordinance against loitering? I explained to her that I was waiting for a friend and... That's when my phone's timer went off. Telling the officer that I was tired of waiting for my friend to show up, I turned to head back to my car. The woman cop wanted to stop me, but the other officer gave her a foreboding look and thanked me for my time. Nodding, I walked to my car, got in, blood still thundering in my ears. What was that? Me just lying to cops like it was nothing? I mean, I knew I wasn't supposed to tell anyone what I saw. Those were the rules, after all, but... I'd never even talked to a cop before except for the one speeding ticket I'd gotten, and I'd almost broke down crying then. Now I was lying to them and walking off like it was nothing? Odd as it may sound, the whole experience was weirdly empowering. I didn't really feel guilty about not helping out and being honest. I was being loyal to my job and its rules, and that was more important. Plus, if I could keep doing this for a good job, who knew how long this money could last? Maybe I could do it forever. And then, three weeks later, I watched the family burn to death. I was standing on the grass of an empty lot on the last street of a largely empty neighborhood. There was a new place, divided into dozens of lots and populated with a handful of houses on each of its three winding roads. I'd seen a few families coming home as I drove in, but the last street was also the least developed, and so there were only two houses across from me and none on my side. Even those two houses seemed empty, with no people or cars around, just tall grass and patches of dirt and, well, me standing awkwardly while I waited for my timer to tick down, hoping that no neighbor or rent-a-cop came up and hassled me for hanging out. I was already an hour in when I saw an orange glow in the front window of the closest house. At first, I thought it was just light from a TV or lamp made soft and shifting by the long white curtains hung there. But then the curtains caught Bright tongues of flame crawling up them quickly, even as I noticed a flare of light from one of the upstairs windows. The house was burning. I I needed to do something. Call 911 or something. But you can't tell anyone what you've seen. It's the rule. But if someone's house is burning, shouldn't I break the rules? It seemed like the simplest question in the world, and yet something in me still hesitated. Someone else would notice soon, right? Or there was some alarm inside that would robo-call for help. And part of me recoiled at my thought process, at stalling while I debated calling for help, but it had a small, meek voice. A louder voice told me I had made a promise by picking up that coin, and I had to honor that. At the very least. I could wait a few i puffed out a sigh of relief as i heard the sirens in the distance a couple of minutes later two fire trucks pulled up the firemen immediately went to work some of them setting up houses while others went to the house and started looking windows and calling for anyone who might be inside they must have heard something because they began frantically breaking down the front door with axes Black smoke boiled out, followed by a dim view of what lay beyond the door. It was all fire and ashes, though I thought for a moment I saw something move in there. It was then the smell reached me, the thick and dusty scent of ashes mixed with the spikier smells of fire and something almost sickeningly sweet. One of the firemen had broken out one of the windows upstairs and was yelling back down, two upstairs, burned, and no response. One of the axemen at the front door cursed and then said there was another body on the stairs. Heart in my throat, I could barely breathe. What if I could have helped them or called and gotten someone there quicker if it had only been a matter of minutes between when I first saw the fire and the trucks arrived? But how many? Two? Five? How much of a difference could it have made? And what was wrong with me that I didn't even... It's a lovely smell, isn't it? The voice was rough and oily in my ear, but when I recoiled, it wasn't just from the shock or the sound of it. It was the breath that came with it. Cold and fetid. With that same underlying sweetness i had already been smelling since they broke down the door. As I pulled away, I turned to find who was talking to me, but there was no one there. I almost lost my balance and fell over, but as I recovered, I turned all the way around, looking in every direction. There was no sign of anyone anywhere close by. Just then, a slimy chuckle slid out of the twilight air next to me but if you get a little taste. This was followed by a pleasurable groan and what might have been the smacking of lips somewhere above me and to my right. Forgetting everything else in my terror, I started to back away. I dug into my pocket for my car keys, and that's when I felt the coin I'd put there. I... I couldn't just leave, could I? And how could I stay? Something was out there with me, and... My phone jumped in my pocket as the timer went off. Tears sprang to my eyes. Oh, thank you, God. Not looking back, I ran to my car and jumped in. It was three blocks before I pulled over and tried to calm down. To rationalize what I'd seen and heard. But it didn't work. I was freaked right the fuck out, and I needed to talk to Raphael. Find out what he'd gotten me into. So... I texted him. I just got done with a watching job. Some really freaky shit just happened. Don't tell me any details. Remember the rules. Yeah, but this was really bad. I, I, I need to talk to someone about it. No, you don't. You need to keep quiet and take your money when it comes. You did stay the whole two hours, right? Sure, yeah, I did. Can you at least tell me if you've ever had something bad happen on one of these things? Like, people die bad? Look. No, I can't. Obviously. That's still telling. Are you sure you're okay? Are you hurt? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm not physically hurt or something. Okay, good. So go home write it down, and then let it go. And if it bothers you that much, you don't have to do it again, okay? Sure. I guess so. I got paid the next day as usual, but I promised myself I was done after that. I even ignored the next new envelope I received but when the second one came the following week, I couldn't help but open it. I told myself it was just about the money, but I think even then I knew it wasn't entirely true. I'd been restless and unhappy not doing it anymore, and scared I might not get another chance. I tried calling Raphael a couple of times to ask more questions, but he never answered anymore. And when I texted, he always texted back that he was busy, and we'd talk later. The day I got the second envelope, he finally called. Told me he was sorry he'd been distant, but he was just trying to give me time to decompress and get over whatever I'd seen before we talked too much, if for for no other reason than to reduce the risk I'd try to tell him what I'd seen, despite the rules. He told me he was sorry he'd introduced me to the job in the first place, but he was glad I was done with it, and I felt a hard smile across my face as I cut him off. I don't know that I'm done. I got another envelope today. Another? Kim, let it go. I'm thinking about getting out myself before it's too late. Too late for what? What are you talking about? I thought you could quit whenever. He was quiet for a moment. And when he spoke again... His voice was soft and thin. Usually. Usually, yeah. But as you get into it, there are certain... obligations. Me vouching for you and bringing you in... Look, it's not just that you have a problem if you mess up, okay? Okay? So just stay away from it, and we'll both be better. Okay? Oh, I hung up the call. Fuck him. I wasn't messing anything up, and I wasn't giving up on this kind of easy money, either. Opening my map app, I started tracking down where the new job wanted me to go. I was standing at the edge of the playground in the middle of the night. The distant orange lights made the jungle gym and seesaws look like a forest of shadowy spiders at one end, and the other end was dominated with a better-lit, but no less desolate, sandbox. My stomach was already tight. Something was wrong with this place. Either that's or it was about to be. It was something in the air, a sour electricity that made the hairs on my arms stand on end and made me pump at the slightest rustling from a distant tree or bush. Still, I had already picked up the coin. It had already been only 20 minutes, but that was a sixth of the way done. And now, was that a woman bringing her little kid to the playground at 2 in the morning? Apparently so. As I quietly watched, the young woman walked her little toddler boy over to the sandbox and told him to play. When she turned back, her eyes found mine immediately. Are you the Whistler? My pulse started pounding as I shook my head. I was going to just ignore her and hope she got the hint, but then I heard myself speaking in a loud, clear voice. I'm the witness. She nodded, and at this angle I could see how young she looked. How scared. I almost offered something more, but then a voice called out behind me. I'm the whistler. She looked past me, and her face fell further. Turning around, I saw an old man, his head festooned with wisps of gray hair, above a long red overcoat draped across broad, thin shoulders. He started walking to meet her, never even... Glancing in my direction as he passed, but when he reached the little girl, he offered a slight bow. Do you bring an offering? The girl nodded, her face shining with tears now. I... I do. We... we call him Jenkins. The man looked at the little boy, half-heartedly digging out a hole in the sand nearby. This one is your child? It... yes... He cut his eyes back to her sharply. And this is your offering. She paled as she began to nod frantically. Yeah, they said he'd be enough. What you wanted, I... If I need to give you something... No. He raised his hand to silence her, even as he began walking past her to the boy. This will suffice. You will have what you wish. The man was reaching into a coat pocket to pull out what looked like a large silver egg. So you'll fix Timothy's heart? I sucked in a breath as the man whipped his head back toward her, his mouth a hard snarl above his eyes that seemed to flash in the lamplight. You will have what you wish. Then just as fast, he turned back to the boy at his feet and slammed the metal egg into the side of his skull. I let out a small scream as the boy fell over limply, his face buried into the sand. I wanted to run, either forward to help the boy or just somewhere else that I could go to get help, but something stopped me. I still had over an hour left. I couldn't move from this spot yet, and even if I did, I couldn't tell anyone what I'd seen. Maybe I could get that boy medical help, though, if I kept it vague and... Now the man was sitting the egg down next to the boy and stepping back. He never looked in my direction, even when I screamed, and now he only had eyes for the egg, though I was starting to see why. It was shifting and splitting, its moonlight shells segmenting into a hundred, then a thousand smaller pieces as something unfurled from inside. I could lie and say I didn't see it well, and it's true. I don't remember much of what it looked like, but I think it's just my brain couldn't make sense of what I was seeing. It was all moving parts and small tendrils that became larger as they latched onto the boy's head, curling into his ears and wrapped around his throat. Stifling a whimper, I watched as the thing began to tug the poor little boy under the playground sand. Witnessed as the boy came to, just as his eyes went below the surface, he screamed. The sound was terrible, undulating wail of pure terror and pain, and his small arms and legs kicked up fans of dirt as he got pulled deeper into some impossible hole. I had to do something. I did have to do something, didn't I? As if hearing my thoughts, the man's gleaming eyes cut to my own, and something in that terrible gaze frightened me even more than the half submerged squealing child at his feet. His lips twisted sharply as he watched me, his eyes never leaving even when he put a leather shoe on the child's back and shoved him deeper into wherever that monster was taking him. Face unreadable, he extended a hand to show me silently though I wasn't sure if it was a greeting and offering of his own or something more sinister. Perhaps it was that final gesture, or maybe everything that had been building that night and those before it, but something broke in me then, and when I started running, I didn't stop until I got home and locked the door behind me. It was as I turned the latch that my phone's timer began to buzz. There was no journal that night, and no money the next day. I was fine with me. I was done, for real this time. Whatever this was, I never wanted to be near it again. It was days later, before I even tried calling Raphael. I wasn't going to tell him any details, but I did want to encourage him to get out too. Whatever being a witness really was, however much it paid, it wasn't worth our souls. He didn't answer. After three days of trying, I called Tori, but she hadn't heard from him either. That was yesterday. And today, I woke up determined to go out and find him. Turns out I didn't have far to go. When I opened my front door, Raphael was across the street, just standing there. I called to him and waved, but he just stared at me. He wasn't there to talk. He was there to bear witness. I closed my door back and started writing this down. It's taken me over an hour and he's still out there. I'm afraid I know what that means. Raphael's time is almost up and so was mine. Shit. I glanced at my watch. 1252. Fuck. I hadn't planned on staying out so late. Normally being out until the small hours of the morning on a weekend wouldn't bother me. Unfortunately, this wasn't your everyday situation. Since arriving in Beijing, all of us foreigners have been ridiculously busy with class. Getting adjusted to intense level Chinese isn't easy and we had all been shut in our rooms studying furiously to keep up. But now it was the weekend and all bets were off. All the other American students had wanted to go to San Luten and drink and dance. For those unfamiliar with the Beijing area, San Luten is Beijing's party place. Clubs, bars, and anything else young adults could get into on a Saturday night cluster here, with their blinking neon lights and rave music. Here was perhaps the highest concentration of foreigners in all of China, and it was somewhat comforting to be among a crowd of your own, no longer whispered about and pointed at by the rampant Beijingers. What a change to go from this anonymous, seedy environment to this cold, harsh glare of the subway. The subway. That was the problem I was facing, as I rushed down the streets of Sao Luten, practically bolting toward the Taozhen subway station. Instead of opting to live in the foreign student dorms like most of my classmates, I had to challenge myself by living with a host family. Not that I didn't like them, don't get me wrong, they were lovely and living with them has definitely improved my Chinese. The only problem is that they live in Changping, an hour and a half away from Peking, Yu, Sao Luten, and Wut all the other places that actually matter to a college student like myself. Normally, I didn't mind the commute. It allowed me to, a little time to study or listen to music, providing I didn't arrive at the hell that is rush hour. Let's put it in financial terms. The subway ride from my house to Peking or Sound Lutin for that matter, is about 5 Kwai. Not so bad, right? But my host family has informed me that the subway closes at 11 p.m., so, if you wanted to get home, I'd have to hop in a cab, which would definitely be at least $100 Kauai. That's maybe around $40 American, which isn't so bad for a cab ride that promised me 45 minutes at best, but I still wasn't willing to fork out money like that every weekend when I wanted to go out. It adds up, you know? I know what you're thinking. If the subway closes at 11pm, why was I rushing out at, at 1 in the morning? I should mention that I am high-level Chinese, but my Chinese is still far from fluent. I was sure my host family had said 11pm, but what if they were wrong? If there was even the slightest chance the subway was still open, I'd go and take it. If not, hopefully I'd be a good spot to catch a cab. As I approached the subway station, I saw promising fluorescent lights glowing from its depths. Oh, thank god, I thought to myself. No more worrying about being ripped off, dropped off at the wrong place, or murdered. I've always been a bit paranoid. I bound down the stairs, my footsteps echoing and bouncing off the tiled walls. It was pretty empty, but that's what I'd expect so late at night. I walked brusquely to the security check, my spirits lifting immensely. I couldn't wait to get home and shower. I looked at the guards and stopped in my tracks. A serious looking Chinese man stared back at me. Rather than the black military-esque uniform that I was accustomed to seeing, he was attired in a long cloak with a high collar, very classical Chinese. A strange red and black hat adorned his thick braided hair. The most troubling aspect of his dress, however, was a thick yellowing scroll of paper that seemed pasted onto his chest with thick, black Chinese characters scrawled down the front. I tried half-heartedly to read the characters, but they swirled across my line of vision in a confusion of strokes that led me to believe they must be ancient Chinese. His piercing eyes ripped through me, freezing my heart into a dead stop. Uh, hi? He continued to stare at me with no answer. I tried again, in Chinese this time. Hey, is the subway open? When does it close? He stared at me again, his lips set in a straight line. (sighs) Wow, so helpful. I was beginning to get extremely uncomfortable. Should I leave? I was about to turn around and hightail it out of there when his lips parted slightly. His eyes remained fixed and rigid, while his mouth squirmed against his pale skin like a twisting worm. But, wait though I did, no sound issued forth. Once he'd finished speaking, he looked at me expectantly. If I had been in America, I would have taken him for a lunatic and tail. But the thing is, I was in Beijing. Maybe this was part of the culture I didn't understand. Maybe something weird was happening and I didn't quite get it. Maybe it was only weird to me, but not your average Beijinger. So stupid as I was, I didn't let it in there. Maintaining strong eye contact, I pointed to myself, then pointed to the stairs that led into the subway. He gave a slight, almost imperceptible nod, and I passed without further issue. Next came the turnstiles. I tried to swipe my handy-dandy subway card, but nothing registered. They were open, anyway, and the guard wasn't paying me any attention, so I stepped through with a shrug. Well, whatever. free ride was fine with me. As I descended into the fluorescent tunnel, I began berating myself for making this journey. Why didn't I just stay in the dorm with my friends? Well, actually, the answer to that question was pretty simple. wanted to sleep on a rock-hard bed with a bunch of drunks. No thanks. I'll take my chances with the creepy subway guard. To my surprise, a plethora of people awaited me when I arrived at my platform. At least I think it was my platform. It was situated where my platform was supposed to be, but the signs had changed. Instead of the chic plastic that slicked the walls in the morning, they were heavy wood signs with carved squiggles that I couldn't decipher. I began to grow colder as I wondered what the hell I'd gotten myself into. However, I managed to stay calm due to the crowd. If there were this many people waiting for the train, then it had to arrive and go somewhere, right? I needed to remain calm, just... Think of this as an adventure, like I'm... Bilbo Baggins or something. It took me a moment to realize that something else was wrong. Everyone was silent. Usually the subway was a cacophony of laughter, idle chatter, and angry voices pushing their way through the crowds. On this occasion, however, the silence was so palpable I could taste it like sawdust on my tongue. And when I looked around, their mouths were all moving, just as the guard before. Their lips blossomed and closed like dragon snaps, but no sound came forth. I'll admit, I was just about to walk back up those stairs and leave when the subway pulled up to the platform. All of a sudden, the still passengers burst to life and filled the thus far empty train. I was swept along with them, practically carried into the train car by a mob of businessmen, old women, and children. Wait, children? I looked down and saw a six-year-old girl at my feet, her eyes solemn and her hair pulled back into pigtails. She appeared to be accompanied by no one, and none of the other passengers paid attention to her. I knelt down to her eye level. Hey there, do you know where your mommy and daddy are? I should have kept my mouth shut. Curse my American meddling. Without blinking, her eyes as cold and blank as chalk, her mouth shuddered and twisted. No sound. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Suddenly, I was approached by another passenger. By this point, all eyes were on me. I was used to being stared at because my porcelain skin so clearly marks me as a foreigner, but this was somehow different. The stares were intense rather than curious. For the first time, I really felt like I didn't belong. The passenger who approached me was a man, perhaps in his late fifties, with graying hair and a scraggly mustache to match. He kept his mouth pressed in a firm line as he handed me a block of chocolate. What? He placed it in my hand, stared right at my gaping jaw, and waited patiently. The other passengers continued staring. The stares got more intense, if that's even possible, but the mouths, they continued their hell dance interrupted. I shuddered. I don't know why I did what I did next. It was stupid and horrible, and it probably saved my life. I bit into the brick of chocolate. Immediately, an awful taste filled my mouth and I began to choke, spitting the mush out onto the ground without hesitation. One thought surfaced through the murky confusion in my mind. Mud. What the fuck is this? Is this some kind of a... And then, all of a sudden, a roar of noise filled the air. I could hear hundreds of conversations issuing from those grimy lips accompanied by appropriate laughter, snorts, scoffs, and coughs. All eyes were still on me, but for all intents and purposes, it sounded like a regular Beijing subway. The shock must have registered on my face because the man who had approached me laughed and said, I think you're lost. I stared at him. No, I'm going to Haiden Huang station. A chorus of laughter rang out around him. Do you know where this train goes? Now I was getting frustrated. Haiden Huang I ride it every morning. He nodded sagely. Yes, I'm sure in the morning it does go to Haiden, but at night... At night, it serves a different purpose. I struggled to keep up with his muddled, Beijing accent. What was he saying? Listen carefully. Obediently, I turned into the conversation next to me. It was between a young man no more than 20 years old and a middle-aged woman wearing a red scarf. What happened to you? Asked the man. Car accident. You? He blushed. Suicide. She hit his shoulder with a scoff of disgust. You should have valued your life more. Now what will happen when you're judged, hmm? The man looked agitated and preoccupied with his thoughts. In the meantime, I turned ashen. I looked back at the man. Where? Where does this train go? Where? I think you already know and this is your stop." My panic grew. No, no, I I don't want to go. He smiled at me kindly. Trust me, you'll be fine. As the door slid open, he shoved me out. I found myself alone, standing in the bright fluorescent lights of a subway platform identical to the Tuanhu station. For one moment only, I looked around, waiting breathlessly for a sign of life, and then I bolted up the stairs. As I ran past the security guard, I heard his laughter call out to me. It bounced sickeningly off the walls and wormed its way into my skull. I shrieked and bolted out of the station, desperate to escape that sound. Suddenly, I was standing on Soliton again, as though I'd never left. The street was congested with people who seemed completely indifferent to the fact that I'd almost been sent to the underworld. They chattered by while I whirled back around. The subway was dark, deserted and locked. A young Chinese couple approached me. The man stuttered out in broken English. Are you okay? You look sick. I stared at him, thinking vaguely of the young suicide victim on his way to judgment. I want to go home, I muttered in Chinese, casting a sidelong glance back at the subway. As they hailed a taxi for me and spoke to each other in hushed voices, I stared up at the sky, the brick of mud still clutched tightly in my hand.